we're not trying to push this on anybody. It's not like, here's your psychedelics, everybody go uh, have a good trip. It's more of, we are here to provide information in a way that's accessible to veterans that hopefully they trust um, and answer their questions. And if they feel like that they're ready to go, which sometimes it can be a process, we have vetted uh, certain centers, we have developed our own protocols, and so we can enable that to happen in the safest and hopefully most effective way. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Geode, your guide to modern wellness and woo. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. I'm a mom, a veteran, and a modern mystic, and I'm on a mission to create an inclusive wellness community. A few years ago, I found myself drawn to the world of spirituality, and I loved it. But I also felt really self-conscious about what I didn't know yet. I didn't feel comfortable asking questions or showing up to certain events, and I definitely never heard or saw anyone with a voice like mine, someone who's grounded, relatable, approachable really funny, and also really witchy. And that's why I created this podcast. On the podcast, we're going to cover everything from astrology to crystal healing, energy work, human design, and even tantric Ayurveda, all from the perspective of relevant practitioners and thought leaders. I wanted to create a safe place for you to learn more about these contemplative and mystical practices and offer a variety of information so you get to decide what resonates with you on your own terms. I hope that you love it because I love you. Today on the show, we have Jesse Gold. He is the founder of Heroic Hearts Project, which is pioneering psychedelic therapies for veterans. Jesse is a former army ranger who deployed to Afghanistan three times and has a finance background. Welcome to the show. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Gould, yeah. Um, And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. and, And thanks for giving us a platform to share our mission and what we're trying to accomplish. Awesome. Um, you have a um, investment bank, you were investment banking and then an army ranger and now you support psychedelics. Which one did your mom give you the hardest time about? <laughs> uh, I don't know. My, uh, my family has a tendency to do left curves periodically. There's an inside joke between me and my sister of who's given our parents the harder time at any given point. Um, so there's been many parts of our journey, but, you know, we all are individuals and we had to sort of explore our our bounds. Um, so yeah, the, the joining the military, uh, because I, it was very unexpected. Um, nobody really in my family suspected it because it's one of those things I kind of like always had an interest in, but I never really shared. And also when I was on this other trajectory from, you know, getting a degree in economics and going into banking, Nobody thought that, you know, Army, especially Army Rangers in the cards. Um, but uh, and so, yeah, for, for my mom, that was a very hard uh, period. And I think she just didn't watch the news for the whole time that I was in. Um, and so it was, it was difficult breaking the news. But I think at the end of the day, it also brought our family together because it opened up. You know, maybe we need to be more open with communication. That's awesome. And thank you for your service. And I'm sure she probably sees the military in a different way now and is probably more supportive of soldiers in general, having been the parent of a soldier. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's kind of the same thing with a lot of the different aspects of, of my life, particularly, is that even it can be hard to explain from the get go. But when people see um, the transformation that each of these phases cause and that I am a better person and healthier and sort of more confident, then, you know, they, they understand that the, those choices were necessary 
to develop me who I am. And so fortunately, I've always had this intuition to, to guide me there, even if I couldn't necessarily explain it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of trust now within our family of, you know, that we, uh, we all know our own spots and, and what we need for ourselves to be healthy individuals. That's really interesting that you talk about how you have an intuition that you followed. And I think I heard this because I was doing some research on you. Um, I think that's really rare for somebody to follow, especially if you're coming from an economic background. That sounds very, um, you know, right brain. And to be someone who can trust the aspect that is not knowing, but is trusting within something that, was that always there even as a kid? Or is that something you developed kind of as an adult? I think it's a combination, um, you know, for whatever reason, I just tended to have that where I had some sort of inner voice or, or guidance that, that knew more of the playing field than I could possibly know at that given time. And so there was a, that sort of development with it. Um, but then over time, it's also something you do develop. It is almost like a muscle. And that's actually kind of ties into what we're doing now is most of us are not trained in terms of intuition. For some people, that's even kind of like a woo-woo word that people don't even want to touch. But, and especially on the Western side, it's so focused on the I am, the logic, the like practical kind of aspect. But me personally, I believe, and through the psychedelic process, there is this more connection to parts of your brain that are often in the unconscious that are actually can be much smarter than uh, your, your conscious brain. And if you, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, the, the subconscious, the back of the brain, so to speak, is actually like a supercomputer that can sort of calculate all these different uh, factors and elements. And that's what gives us these feelings. That's like one of our main survival things. Whereas the frontal brain is good at like quick decisions. Like if you're comparing, like, what do I want for lunch or should I go this way or this way? That's what the frontal brain is. But when it becomes much more complex, when there's a lot more factors, the, the frontal, the, the, the brain that we live in on a daily basis is actually less efficient. And so that's where we have to trust that. So fortunately, for whatever reason, early on, I, I had that kind of instinct. And so then it's sort of been more of a process of developing that, trusting it, because it can be very tricky. And so that's what we're trying to bring people back to as well that's part of the healing because oftentimes we put ourselves in these negative patterns. We put ourselves in situations that part of us probably knows is wrong or we avoid these sort of traumas. And so it's about um, expressing those and then also avoiding some of these uh, situations. It's like everybody has that friend that keeps getting into that bad relationship and you just see them in the cycle and the cycle. And you're probably the same way in a lot of aspects but it's very easy to see it in somebody else. And you're like, why are you still with that person? Or why do you keep dating this person? It's because it's very hard for us to see. And that person probably knows it on some level. It's just a question of how developed they are trusting their senses. Yeah, um, I definitely see my own cycles because I'm just like, why are we going through this again? We're 37. But um, so that's interesting. And I kind of want to work backwards from where you are now, maybe into how you, it led into there, but what is considered a psychedelic? Um, so it's become kind of a, a broad term and there's a few different names. I think on the, the easiest, most agreeable side, um, psychedelics tend to be kind of more of a hallucinogenic. So that's kind of what the common you know, understanding of it is like a LSD, DMT, 
uh, magic mushrooms, which is the colloquial term for psilocybin. And, you know, these substances that you take that generally cause you to go into some sort of mind altered state. And sometimes it can be heavy on the hallucination. Sometimes it can just be more heavy on the altered perceptions or altered feelings. Sometimes other substances get lumped in um, and maybe not, it's not the most scientific, but they kind of are all in this similar sort of category in terms of psychoactive substances. And so some similar ones that are different from psychedelics are ketamine, which is a dissociative uh, MDMA, which is, um, I, I forget the specific term, but obviously it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but even some people believe that, you know, like if you ingest cannabis, sometimes it can have something similar to psychedelic properties. If, if, if you're, you know, have a very strong dose. Um, but for the main course, we, we work with a lot of these different substances, but the main core of it and a lot of the, the, the major breakthroughs that we've seen are more on these hallucinogenic, um, psychoactive substances. Okay. And that's ayahuasca and something yeah, else? Yeah, ayahuasca, psilocybin. Um, back in the 1950s and still today, they, they used LSD a lot. Um, that's more of a synthetic compound. Uh, but we, we tend to prefer kind of more of the organic natural based ones, you know, like mushrooms, uh, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, ayahuasca, which the psychoactive component is DMT. Um, and then you can get DMT from a few different sources. Um, so those are sort of the main focuses right now. Okay. And what is, um, like, I'm just fascinated. I have not done ayahuasca, um, we're flirting right now, but we haven't, I haven't committed, but what is, I know it's a plant medicine, but what is it about the ayahuasca? Like what is happening there? So it's a lot's happening there. And a lot of it also depends on, you know, there's some belief system, obviously. So ayahuasca for people who don't know it, um, it's native to the Amazonian region in South America. And so it dates back, you know, thousands of years, a lot of tribal history, a lot of it's not written down, so it can be hard to specifically trace it back, but tribes within the Amazon across all the countries um, developed their own culture, rituals, all that kind of stuff. And so obviously within that, there's their own belief system of, of what it opens up or what it connects you to. Um, and, you know, it's like any other faith that can be very powerful and, and it depends on a person's belief system on a more, I guess, scientific or Western side of things. Again, it's complex and, and in terms of research and study, it's still very much in its infancy. So a lot of it is kind of more hypothesis. Um, but what we're seeing and what I speculate on a lot of it is these, especially the hallucinogenic, the psychedelics, whether it's ayahuasca whether it's straight DMT, whether it's psilocybin, they seem to be working on multiple levels. And so specifically like with veterans uh, with PTSD or other issues, you have one component of these issues that is sort of the trauma, sort of what we think of when we hear PTSD, like a veteran, a military guy, military girl sees something uh, very shocking, you know, very stressful, whatever, and it gets stuck in their brain and then they have flashbacks that have all these other issues. And so what we normally do right now and in, in through the VA is, you know, some form of talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure, and then they also do medication to sort of suppress the, 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 the emotional 
um, swings that oftentimes these cause. So through the, the, the talk therapy, what you're trying to do is, is sort of talk through the trauma and see the different loops and almost like set it free in, in, a, in an odd way. So through the hallucinogenic process, especially ayahuasca, there is almost an enhanced form of this to one where it dissociates you. So you're not as, you don't have as many barriers as you would in, in a sober state. Um, and it puts you in these almost like dreamlike situations where you do confront these issues. You'll see it in a different way. We have a lot of people who actually had tra childhood trauma and they go back to that. And so it can be very hard, but when they go back to it in that sort of setting, they almost are more empowered to it and they're almost able to um, get like relieve themselves of it, like view themselves and, and see it from a different lens, see it from a different perspective. So that's one level, this, this, this strong sort of therapy psych, uh, psychology side of it. We also speculate there's also this physical thing going on where there is a lot of evidence that potentially some of these psychedelics can um, promote neurogenesis, can promote increased plasticity in the brain, can actually sort of reset or rebalance certain uh, hormones and, and other parts. And so we see a lot of cases, and again, this is very, this is very uh, sort of new research. Um, and so a lot of it's speculation, but we keep seeing these positive results. So a lot of veterans, um, really drastic reduce reductions in hypervigilance, um, less, um, less inclined to these sort of emotional swings or, or outbursts, less, um, less susceptible to neuroticism or to like anxiety attacks to oftentimes anger, like a extreme anger, anger issues, it tends to seem to balance them to where, um, before they might just go off the rails and now they're, they might still have some of these issues, but not to the same, um, extreme nature. Um, what's neurogenesis? So neurogenesis is sort of, it's like the, the creation of new neurons. And so beforehand, even, you know, like a decade or two ago, we thought that your neurons, the moment, once they died, there was no regrowth of it. It's not like skin where, you know, you cut yourself and new skin forms and all that kind of stuff. We, the, the, the standing belief was that you only have so many neurons that are, are, are um, that grow during your youth. Um, and then, you know, if you get hit in the head or, or you have some sort of brain damage, there's no, you're not going to be able to replace those. But what we're seeing is that's actually not the case. And what we're seeing, there's a lot of evidence towards that some of these psychedelics actually promote the, new, the creation of new neurons. So there is some evidence and a lot of, including our own researchers, looking into the amount that some of these substances can actually help people with certain levels of traumatic brain injury. Um, it doesn't seem to be like the to the extreme level to where if somebody has like massive brain in, injury it's going to like grow that back but on a smaller level where there might be like some micro abrasions and damage um it does seem to promote a, a healthier brain um and then healing some of those issues interesting um what about like the mystical spiritual portion of it like you do the whole ritual right like they do the whole and what do you, I realize that's harder to encapsulate in words, but is there a, like, can you talk to me about the benefits of a veteran military person being in this very deep, very spiritual, mystical uh, environment ceremony? Yeah, of course. And I think 
from my perspective, especially on the ayahuasca side, um, you know, mushrooms in the U.S. tend to have less of that, but there still can be some sort of ceremony. And so one, veterans really take to ceremony just because it's in our lifestyle and, you know, that we, it's, it's around everything. And I think from a human perspective, you know, we are tribal. And if you look at every sort of early human society, there's all these rituals, there's all of these um, ceremonies, tribals, even, even the, the holiday season, Christmas, it's a ceremony. It's, it's, it's where we can all celebrate this under the similar story that we, we grew up with. So, I mean, I think that in itself is, is very beneficial. Ayahuasca in particular over some other psychedelics does tend to have sort of this spiritual, somewhat religious uh, side of it. And that doesn't mean you're going to go into ayahuasca and then all of a sudden like convert to Christianity or convert to an indigenous belief. Um, there, you know, again, we, for the most part as humans tend to be inclined towards a spiritual um, connection and that can look differently from uh, across the board. And unfortunately we live in a time where I think spirituality in itself, uh, has a really bad name because we have these established religious organizations that have often not acted in the best interest of their people. Sometimes in the extreme, like what you see with uh, a lot of the, the, the issues around Catholicism and, and the pedophilia, which really gives, you know, these become institutions of control as opposed to institutions of spirituality. But at its base level, spirituality is really just connection to the community, connection to things that are bigger than you. It's, it's more of an expansion of what the individual is. So even if that's not necessarily a God figure or a Jesus figure or um, what have you, spirituality can still be just sort of your place in the world, your place in the universe, your place in the tribe and your connection to that. So it's that feeling of being connected, belonging, uh, which I think in a modern society, especially with social media, we are severely lacking. You're, you're seeing a lot of that. Um, and within this process, the psychedelics, because they do tend to expand your mind and make you feel connected to, you know, whether it's nature, whether it's the people that are doing the ceremony around you, so many different levels. And I think that is really restorative because it makes people feel belonging. It makes them feel connected it expands who they are. And so again, that can also help them with their trauma to where they're not just in this bubble where they're the only ones suffering from it and struggling from it. And that kind of brings up a good point is that what we're finding out with mental trauma is that it's much more complex than people are diagnosing it as. So like if you go through the VA, you know, they're going to just say like, Oh, because you have these issues, you have PTSD. And here's what you're going to do. They generally don't really ask you about diet. They don't ask you about your friend network, your family network. They don't ask you how satisfied you are with your job. They really, for me, didn't ask me about any head trauma. They didn't ask me about my belonging. And all these things you see with veterans, there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of lack of sense of purpose. There's all these things that just magnify whatever other issues are already going for. And we need to start addressing that and start talking about that. Even with our work at Heroic Hearts Project, you know, if somebody is already, because of their mental trauma, in a very bad spot where they're unemployed, they're isolated, they have no support network, 
it can be very hard for us to treat them because they might get enormous benefit from ayahuasca or psilocybin. But then if they're still isolated, then there's all these other issues that they're just not going to be able to overcome. We need support networks. And that's very hard to create by yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. That's why I ask because I think there is something... There is a mind, body, spirit element where things can be tackled within the brain. At what level do people normally find you? Are, are, are the veterans that come to you people who have basically tried everything else and they're in despair? Or does, is it a broad spectrum of people who are like, know that they had an experience and they want to tackle it head on? Like, at what level do people come and find you? It's a pretty broad spectrum, but there is a heavy, um, heavy, demand from those that have tried uh, everything else just because the spot that we're at you know there's still a lot of stigma there's still a lot of mystery around it um and like myself coming to it i had no intention or previous history of using psychedelics i kind of just cast it off as just another drug like many other people did and that's not how i viewed myself and so i was just like that's not something i'm going to do Uh, but when you get to these levels and you're just struggling and you see the limited, um, tools that are out there that are currently being pushed, um, sometimes you have to like think out of the box. And so a lot of, a lot of people come to us and, you know, for 10, 15 years, they've been trying all sorts of different things. And especially what we mentioned before with the talk therapy, um, you know, and, and I think I think talk therapy is very important and before and afterwards and all around it, I think people should always try to pursue that and it can only enhance what we're doing uh, with it. But there is a lot of cases where talk therapy reaches walls, where people just feel like they're beating a dead horse, especially on the, I've heard this numerous times with prolonged exposure therapy, where they're just talking about the incident over and over again. And just not making any any prog- progress um, because again they don't have the tools. It's it's sometimes there are these barriers that in sort of the normal state it can be very hard for us to overcome. Some people naturally have more of an ability to do that, but this is where psychedelics, this is where MDMA can come and benefit this, and that's what we're seeing on the MDMA side with. Um, the current FDA trials, which actually big news just within the last week, uh, their final stage trials of MDMA, which uh, on the street name is called ecstasy, but it, this is more of the the, the the synthesized chemical. And so it's not, you know, if you use it in the correct way, it's not like a party, you're going there to party. It can really open you up and, and make a therapy more effective. And so news this last week is that the third stage trials, which is the final, uh, had statistically significant results. Um, and I think they had like 70 or 80% people that uh, got were able to completely get over PTSD from it. And so that means that MDMA should in the coming years be prescribable uh, for therapists to treat PTSD, which is huge news because the the results were more than double of what any other therapy was offering. And so it's that's a big progress for us. Um, and so, yeah, so on the therapy side, you hit these walls, but these substances, if used correctly, um, can really help you get over that and get to the next, uh, next level. Yeah. And I feel like there are also so many traps in the mind. Like, even if you talk to somebody, like we were saying at the beginning, like all those loops, 
that the mind can be so tricky that you kind of have to like out trick it in order to heal some of these things and get past it. So that makes sense to me. Um, Do you find that, are there any, because before I did this podcast, I had thought about doing a wellness company directed towards holistic medicine for men. And so I did market research. And what I discovered was that all men, well, sorry, within the market research that I did, the men didn't realize that they had an issue. And the only people who sought help were people who were like, you know, had attempted suicide. Um, Now I realize that you're dealing with people who have had catastrophic issues. So they're at a point where they're super desperate, but do you find that there's also like anything within the field of men that you're dealing with or like people that you are rangers with, they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I don't have any problems. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common thing in military. I mean, I myself had it. And um, I think whether it's it's more man-related or more like, you know, I think Ranger, I think even if you went to like high-level Wall Street traders, male or female, it's that sort of, if you want to call it alpha or that sort of just like determined kind of person. And because in that mind frame, it's like, oh, I can do this. Like I can accomplish this. And if if you're struggling you don't want to be, you don't want to admit it because you think you can overcome it. And that's sort of the situation where I was in. It's not until you like enough things fall apart or you kind of have that like look in the mirror. Um, But that is the value and the benefit of having people tell their stories. And that is the biggest uh, thing we found word of mouth that bring people in. And it's important because there's not going to just be one individual. There might be some people that are more influential, obviously. Um, but what we found is, you know, we'll help a, a Marine Raider and then all of a sudden we'll get all these other Marine Raiders that were in the same unit or that knew about this guy that will start coming in. It's because it's that honesty, uh, and that person that they respect that they thought was, you know, could, could conquer anything. And then this person's asking for help and then they see themselves, they see their same, their same struggles in this person. Like, Oh, Hey, that relates to me too. And I've seen that time and time again, where people veterans sharing their stories of like, Hey, this is what I was struggling with. Then other people in their circle be like, Oh, I'm doing that too. I, I've kind of cast it aside. But if you say uh, you're struggling with that and you said that this can help, maybe it's not worth struggling anymore. So I think it's just about finding those, those ends. Um, it's all about how you approach it. Like if you just go straight to any random vet, you know, ranger or not, and you say like, tell me your problems. Some will be very open, but most will be like, I don't have any problems. You know, it's, 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 it's sort of like the, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like the, if you come straight at something, then you're going to get that amount of resistance. You know, sometimes you have to find sort of the, the ends that allow people to, to find their own path to what you're doing. And so that's what we're trying to do. Like, we're not trying to push this on anybody. It's not like, here's your psychedelics. Everybody go uh, have a good trip. It's more of, we are here to provide information in a way that's accessible to veterans that hopefully they trust, um, and answer their questions. And if they feel like that they're ready to go, which sometimes it can be a process, we have vetted, uh, certain centers. We have, developed our own protocols. And so we can enable that to happen in the safest and hopefully most effective way. That's awesome. And I think the story piece is, you're right, like super critical and that seems to be resonates across the board. Um, 
The questions weren't direct, but there was the information that I collected, but I, and I, and I appreciate your approach. Um, so with that, can you tell us your story of um, maybe why you decided to join the military and then after the military, what sort of occurred and led you to, um, as we refer to the dark night of the soul? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I don't know. The me joining the military was a, you know, it was a evolving sort of process. Always as a kid, and you know, I was always patriotic, and you know, nine eleven added to that, and I always respected soldiers and was intrigued by the physicality of it. And you see, you know, special ops guys and movies and all this kind of stuff, and you're as as a man or as that kind of personality, I was just very much, um, in admiration of that. And I was also very happy with, or, or I wanted to give back because I, I received a lot in terms of my ability to, to, you know, go from a small town in Florida to, to, you know, getting a, a great degree and, and, and working in New York and all this other kind of stuff. So I felt very, um, happy and, and I, you know, I felt very fortunate of, of where I was at. And then, you know, like I said, that, that intuition was there of like, I think this is something I want to do just because I was never, you know, I was, I was always more of the, the academic kid. I was never like the strong or, or confident in that way, kid. And so I think then just, um, forces sort of combined where when I graduated, it was 2009. So it was just this massive financial meltdown. And then being on Wall Street, it was just this weird dynamic. And so I, I still had a job, but it really um, sh- shown truthfully how how people were in, in, at that time. And I liked the competitive nature, but there was not a lot of people giving back. There's a lot of people taking, and that really highlighted it, and especially in the banks and stuff like that. And it was just all about what was best for them, which is great on a com- competition side and, and making you better at your skill. But also on again that I guess spiritual side or that that bigger side of like there's no gr- being grateful there's no like who can I help with this surplus and so I think all that sort of came together at that right time I was like hey well nothing's going on here I'm still young if this is something I want to do I need to do this when I'm young you know I already got the college out of the way that's good so it's it's put up or shut up kind of moment and so I decided and looked into it and eventually found that way and. You know, immediately I, I wanted to be a ranger just because if I was going to go in, I wanted to, you know, be the best trained, be surrounded by guys that I could trust. Um, and so that was sort of the, the path. Um, so then from there, you know, and fortunately, whatever the intuition drove me to, I got everything I needed. Um, as a, any other military career, there's good and bad, but overall, like, really challenged me physically, mentally, all the things I needed, developed me, gave me confidence, um, gave me different perspectives on life that I couldn't even imagine. Um, and so then when I got out of the military, I was, cause I never intended on doing it full on professionally. I was, you know, ready to charge the world of like, Oh, Hey, I got this finance background. I'm a ranger. Uh, and you know, I, I was able to do a little bit and, and got a great job and, really established this life that on the outside looked great and looked very promising. But what I was ignoring at that time were some of these internal struggles and turmoils that, again, like we mentioned, I probably didn't admit for, for whatever reasons. And so as I got into there, and I think it was also 
the slowdown from Ranger to corporate world where before it was just like distraction and, and all this um, stimulation and adrenaline. And now it's like a nine to five or, or more just on the computer. So there's just a lot of things in my life at that time, which were not stimulating. Um, again, there was no real sense of purpose. If I did more work, it was, I saved the comp- uh, this international company some money. Uh, there's just a lot of superficiality and everything. And it was just, again, like what we're talking about, I think that loss of spirituality, that loss of purpose, uh, in addition to some of the traumas that related to the, the nature of the job, the nature of the, the military job. Um, and I just came to this point where more days were, I was just miserable than I was happy. And I was just like going forward just for the sake of it. You know, I wasn't going to give up. Like fortunately I was never on the, the suicidal spectrum, but it was just kind of like a lot of days like, all right, this is, what's the point of this? I'm just kind of like buying my time, like pushing forward and I'm just not happy and I don't really know what to do. And at the same time, you know, being hit by like panic attacks and just major depression and, you know, trying to cover it up with uh, excessive use of alcohol and just also participating in a lot of very risky behavior that was just putting my life at risk for needless, needless, uh, needlessly. And fortunately, I had, again, I guess the intuition popped back up. I had these red flags and I just looked at myself one day. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're just, this is not a way to live. Like whatever's going on right now is you're going to whatever's going to happen in the future, you're going to do something that you can't take back or you're just going to waste all this time in, in, in this sort of cloud, this black cloud. And at the same time, heard about ayahuasca again, coming from it, like, Oh, that's not for me. But fortunately the seed was planted and the more the darkness in my life uh, grew and the more that I read about this weird sort of ceremony, it just sort of became this like, okay, well, I know this is not working, so let's try this and just followed that instinct. And fortunately I did because I went there and, and it was very difficult, but it was almost immediately apparent that this was not what I expected it to be in terms of ayahuasca. Cool. Yeah. I've heard that it calls you like when you're ready, there's like a siren. So um, had you done any al- other alternative or holistic healing before, or you just were like <laughs> straight? No, up? I just, I just kind of dove in. I mean, like during that time I was, I was trying to sort of change dynamics in my life of like, Hey, I'm living very unhealthy. And, and again, like I need to change this. Like this is not sustainable. So I tried, you know, a lot of different things, um, but never substances, Again, I just didn't identify myself. I had no interest in, in smoking pot or anything like that. Or like energy and, healing, seeing a psychic. No, I mean, like still on, on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, even to this day, I, you know, to each their own views, but I try to keep it as, you know, straightforward as, as possible. So even like with the psychedelics, I can understand you know, and not to make judgment on, on all that kind of stuff, but for me and, and the way I think, like I can put like, Oh, I see why this works like this, you know? Um, and that's kind of more of how my brain works and sort of more of my, my belief system. But other than that, I just kind of, in terms of the holistic, I did more of like 
I try to get a hobby. I learn to cook. I, I try to eat healthier. I try to get back in shape. You know, a lot of veterans tend to get out of shape afterwards. So all these sort of like life tweaks, like meditation and all that kind of stuff. And they did help, obviously, but I just couldn't get over that like barrier. There's still this like weight on me that felt like I was still wearing this hundred pound backpack and couldn't, you know, be my full self in life. When you were doing the research on ayahuasca, was there something specific that stuck out to you or it was more of a stronger intuition? Like nothing about this seems to be popping up a red flag and I feel a strong call. So I'm going to go, or did you read something? You're like, Oh, that, yeah, no, that makes sense. Now I know I need to do this. Well, the way I've described it before, it was almost like, I think part of my brain knew. And so it was just this whole process of the back of my brain can slowly convincing the front of my brain. And the, so it wasn't anything like particular, but what the difference was is part of the reason I, I never per, partook before is because I kind of just viewed it as any sort of drug, like even hallucinogenics as, as escapism. Um, and I just view, cause anytime I heard people like anything they said, I was just like, okay, that's cool for you. That doesn't really, that's not very profound for me. Um, and so you know, I already knew I was drinking too much alcohol, so I didn't need another vice. I didn't need another escape. Um, and so when I heard about uh, ayahuasca, at first I, I categorized in that. But then, you know, just bored, like reading about it and hearing testimonials, I think because it had such a rich cultural dynamic to it, and there's all this to it, and it came from, you know, tribes of people that have been doing it for so many years it wasn't just, you know, me going with friends to get high. It was something different. Um, and I think that distinction allowed my brain to kind of convince me of like, this is something different than, than what you think these drugs or substances are. Cool. Um, I want to hear about your ayahuasca experience, but um, you, I had a question because was your, is your experience common to all veterans? Like you, like I had a screening when I left, but our most veteran, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't in combat and, and I didn't have combat injuries or anything combat related. If you sustain an injury or some, something within the mental capacity, is there anything after you leave the army or they're kind of like, thanks to you later and you're left to flounder and figure it out on your own? Mm, it's a little bit, I mean, Ranger was notorious for, um, having very small med packets. Cause it was like, okay, go there, go back quick. And more of a, like a walk it off mentality. Um, and there's that sort of kind of like dumb pride around that. Um, the out processing. So basically like for us, if you started, like if you wanted to get, um, some sort of disability, uh, qualification or uh, classification, if you started when you're in the military, it'd get processed really quickly. Uh, but there really wasn't a lot of information. It was kind of like more word of mouth. And so, um, on the out processing sort of thing, it was kind of like the quick go through each station. Like, do you have anything to report? No. And you're just trying to get out at that point. So like they had like a psychologist or, or, or a physician and he's like, do you have PTSD? Do you have anything to report? Are you upset? And you're just like, no, man, I'm good. And so it was kind of a bullshitty sort of thing. Um, and I, my deployment, I got back from Afghanistan within like less than a month of, uh, of discharging. And so it was just sort of a rush to get everything done, all the paperwork. 
And since you're getting out, nobody's there to help you. So you're just like running around the buildings trying to figure it out and just making sure you're not paying tons of money for lost equipment. And so I didn't get to do any of that because I had some, you know, physical injuries. Um, and so when I put in my paperwork, I was already out and it took them like two and a half years to even get back to me. So I didn't, I didn't even hear from them for like two and a half years, uh, that they even made me an appointment. And by that time I was like a third party, uh, person that was doing the appointment. And then again, it was another bullshitty kind of thing. It was just like, okay, move your arm. Okay. Good enough. <laughs> and then even the, the psychologist is just like this checklist. Like, are you angry? Uh, do you feel sad? <laughs> and you're like, yes, I guess. So, I mean, the whole, the whole process was kind of bullshitty. Fortunately, later I got like a represent representative that was better, like able to like, Oh, you're back. Let me look at your x-rays. Yeah. Your back is actually fucked up, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, you really have to, you have to be informed on your own. You have to get people who want to sort of represent you, which is unfortunate. Um, there's a lot of issues there for sure. Yeah, I'm just thinking like if you got out, you specifically got out and somehow because of your intuition, you were able to find something. But I'm thinking about the individual who gets out, can't follow their intuition, doesn't have a supportive family. Um, Hopefully they find their way to you and your company, but we really just sort of like, like, okay, no backseas, you know, like. Well, I mean, it's, it's tragic too. Cause a lot of the issues I had, I, I did have to discover on my own just because like, even if I got like a diagnosis again, it was just a very superficial, you know, I had to like look into stuff. And one of the bigger things is I was a, I was a mortarman in Ranger. And so I was exposed to a tremendous amount of concussive force, which we know, or we are knowing now can lead to micro abrasions in the brain, traumatic brain injury which have very similar um, issues as a lot of the PTSD and depression symptoms. But when I was out processing or through the whole process, there's not one person that brought up traumatic brain injury, brought up head injury, brought up any of that. That was really like my own like deep dive of like, okay, this, this, this uh, doctor's doing this and he's shown this correlation between uh, you know, tr- uh, brain injury and, and veterans and then this increase in you know, so-and-so. So a lot of it, unfortunately, and yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And even just dealing with a VA, if you are just a little bit less um, inclined or, or more having more issues, it can just be sort of a disaster because it is it is such a frustrating thing. I had to put in a Freedom of Information Act request just to get my own medical records, just to even start an appointment. And so that was going through three offices, trying to figure out how to fill out a FOIA and then waiting supposedly a a year to get my own medical records back. And then I had to like reach out to my congressman. It was just a whole mess. And I was just like, hey, if somebody is like a little bit more, um, you know, don't have either the skill sets or they're a little bit more on on the suffering side where they just are massively depressed this is an impossible task for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, thank you for bringing it to light because I think it's important for people to hear. I think people think if you're a veteran, when you get out, you're supported, but you're not. And you, which I'm sure is a big factor in why you have this company is because you want veterans to have support because nobody else is supporting them. Um, what is the difference between, aside from the spiritual aspect, is there a, a chemical difference between um, like a, 
what are they SSRIs like a like a pharmaceutical thing that you receive or and a psychedelic? Is there a difference? Yeah, so I mean they're massively different. So like the medication, and this is not to you know demonize medications or have people go off of them. They they can be very effective for certain people. In my opinion, they are overly prescribed and they're not necessarily people's issues are not necessarily known enough for oftentimes a prescription. And then you get these cases where people are on 10, 15 prescriptions and they're, it's just a mess. Um, so SSRIs are, they really don't do much to actually heal the issue. Uh, they are just almost like regulators. So like people who have like massive depression or bipolar or what have you, it kind of keeps you in the straight track. That way you can at least be functional in your life. And so for some, it, it can be like life restoring and it just allows them to not be like derailed by like an emotional outburst or, or this. For some, you know, it makes them almost a shell of themselves or it has all these other side effects. And maybe, you know, maybe if they are massively suicidal, that might be what they need at that time. But they can be, you know, they're, they're very powerful and they have a lot of effects. And some of them, you know, it's, it's been researched, might not actually be as effective as they originally thought. Um, and so that's sort of the issue of like, if you get prescribed that, it's not like, okay, after, it's not like, um, uh, you know, like a, another like medication where you're like, okay, after a month, you're going to be better and just eat, eat healthy and all that kind of stuff. This is like, okay, you're dysregulated and you're going to have to keep taking this. Um, the psychedelic side, um, again, like I said, there's a lot of evidence that it actually heals the brain, but there is more of a path to overcoming what you're doing. And it's not something you have to take on a monthly basis. Um, it's, it's sort of a completely different perspective. People who go through and, and use psychedelics often do use them again, but it's in a completely different sort of mindset and a different sort of dynamic. It's more of a almost empowering tool where, and some people do abuse it and some people get their own form of dependency. And that's also what we're trying to teach because, you know, if, if you have an actual protocol and you know how to use them, you're more likely to use it effectively. Um, but for instance, with like ayahuasca, a lot of people have these very profound effects and they are um, empowered to, to get past a lot of, the, a lot of these issues. And, and there is a lot of healing there. And so, you know, maybe trauma can be, there, there's a lot of layers and, and maybe they might get a little bit off the, the path again. And so then they go back and, and, you know, hopefully get to the next step. And so it's not like a medication, like you have to go back to ayahuasca every month. Otherwise you're just going to go off the deep end. It's kind of more of an ever progressing kind of thing. And the, the way we teach is, you know, there, you're not going to have to take these the rest of your life. If you go back, that's fine. Um, but you should always know why you're going back to that just so you're not repeating the same sort of things. You know, this is, if you're not treating it like something that's empowering you, that's something that helping you get over your issues, then you're going into dependency. But fortunately also with psychedelics is that there's no natural addictive quality. It's not like heroin or opioids where you like need to keep taking them. There's no like um, chemical hook that makes you addicted to them. 
Interesting. Yeah, and before you're talking about the neurogenesis, I'm assuming that's also unique to psychedelics. Of like, yeah, that's yeah. oh, really interesting because I know a lot of people also when they get out, or if you have PTSD or depression or anxiety, there's always like the pill always seems to be the quick fix. But that's like a band aid as opposed to uh, a psychedelic, which is surgery. Yeah, uh, oh. ideally, and and that's kind of what. The, the whole mental health perspective needs to be changed because we are trying to, where medical professionals do kind of treat it like any other ailment. Like I could go a down a whole rabbit hole about this. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem. They're trying the, the brain's so complex and these behaviors and even PTSD, that's like, I sort of alluded to this before. It's such a complex sort of thing. And we just try to lump everything. Everything gets lumped into PTSD right now. You know, it's, it's, People come out with depression, anger, uh, traumatic brain injury, all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, okay, you have PTSD at this rate without understanding so many, the nuances and, and, you know, and a lot of times people with PTSD, oftentimes it starts from childhood trauma and those people are more likely to get PTSD. So then if you're just dealing with trauma from war, then what about all this other trauma that you have to deal with as well? Yeah, that was interesting when you mentioned that before, that somebody who came to do a healing got a memory from their kid. And it's like they, everything is, it's like macro, micro. It's all connected somewhere within us. Um, tell me about your ayahuasca. Spill, spill your, your ayahuasca story. Yeah, of course. And yeah, and just to also add to that, just sense it to my head, because uh, you like mentioned like some of these other holistic things and sort of the, the, the other dynamic of this is after people go through some of these experiences, they tend to be much more open, one, to admitting that they should start taking care of themselves and that they need healing, and also looking into other modalities. So a lot of people, you know, afterwards might actually be more inclined to do yoga or meditation or something else because they realize that maybe their stigmas were preventing them from expanding uh, the tools that they could possibly use. And so then it's just kind of opening, and then it's on them to do research if they uh, like it, believe it, what have you, you know? And so it's just more about bringing tools and seeing what fits with different, uh, perspectives. Um, yeah, so mine, um, my first go, it was a week long in Peru in the, in the middle of the Amazon, um, with the four ceremonies over the course of the week. And again, having just dove into the deep end with no real experience, it was, a pretty challenging sort of event. You know, my first two ceremonies were just all at war, where it was just sort of the traditional uh, view of psychedelics were just very intense colors, shapes, geometric patterns, just rushing at me, all sorts of different things in the hallucinogenic side, on um, the physical side. So especially ayahuasca it tends to have a, a purging side, which um, a lot of people hear about where you more often than not do throw up. Um, which most of the time it's not too bad because it kind of interplays with, you know, getting out, um, you know, the trauma or the anxiety, but some of the harder experiences, like my first couple of nights, it was just, you know, puking through the night, you know, 20 plus times and just like constantly over the bucket and, uh, just completely physically, exhausted, you know, couldn't sit still. It was just like, what the hell's going on? Um, just couldn't chill, sweating bullets. And the second one I went in and it was even worse, you know, it was just like all out war, just like all bad thoughts, everything coming at me. 
And so, you know, by the, by the third one, I was, I was pretty afraid actually of going in. I was like, if this just gets worse, I don't know if I can handle it. Cause that, last night was pretty bad. Like, um, and, but you know, I was there for a reason and I was going to commit to it. So I went back in the third ceremony and, uh, started off just as bad. I'm like, Oh shit, here we go. <laughs> Another, and for people who don't know, uh, I think I, ayahuasca is a combination of two plants in the Amazon. And when they're combined, they have this hallucinogenic and it comes in sort of like a drink, like a very thick tea that has a very, uh, intense flavor. Um, and the, 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 the trip generally lasts about four or five hours and you're in this sort of traditional setting and there's, uh, the, the shaman, the, the curandados that are singing. And so you're just going through this very ancient ritualistic practice and so in the third, like I said, it started off like all, all war, all intense. And then finally in uh, a hand came out, you know, in, in sort of the visions. Uh, and it was like this blue hand that reached out through all the like chaos, all the, the war and like pulled me out. And instantly when that happened, everything just went tranquil. It went from being in like the middle of, um, you know, the battle of the bulge to like, a calm beach and I felt like a cool breeze, like instantly physiologically it changed. I wasn't sweating instantly. I was just relaxed, completely calm at peace, cooled off. Um, but then as the brain works with, with like a lot of us, if anybody's ever tried meditation where you're just trying to like stay calm and, and do that. And then all of a sudden you have this like, Oh, what if this, what if this, it's like that brain. And so it was the same sort of thing where in that it was like, but what if you go back? What if you have to puke again? And the moment I had that thought, that sort of, um, you know, there's, there's always this part of the brain that, that kind of self-sabotages, you know, and it brought me right back into that. And so the rest of that night was just going back and forth, back and forth, where it was almost like training me to just calm down and chill out. And, you know, being hard-headed, it took a while. Um, but it was almost like this muscle where, like, I had to learn had to not just be overwhelmed by the anxiety and overwhelmed by these bad thoughts and not being dictated by the self-sabotaging side of my brain, because that was my circle. That was my loop that I kept going back into. And, you know, by the, by the end and then into the fourth, you know, I finally was able out of exhaustion, just be like, all right, I'm done. I just want to be in the chill spot. Like I'm done fighting this, I'm done fighting this war. And so I was able to stay there for pretty much the rest of the night, you know, with maybe some minor hiccups. Um, and then when I was able to do that, you know, some other sort of profound stuff came in of just kind of like at that point I was searching of, you know, I left my job, like what's next. If you're not doing corporate finance and what, who are you? And it was just kind of like chill out, you know, like if you do the, the script of the, the rest of this play, then you'd just be bored. You know, the whole point is to go through this and, you know, be excited as it, as it occurs to you and you have all the skill set you need to, to interact and to react to the situation in, in an intelligent way. So just enjoy the ride. Um, and some other, you know, sort of things, the hard part of relaying psychedelic experiences is it doesn't sound as profound, but when you're in it, you understand it on a deeper level. Um, yeah. And then, so after that, you know, that whole, what I was saying, that muscle memory of, of just being chill, it, I think just made the, the bad, like the, the self-sabotaging parts of my brain 
it made me able to sidestep it to where even in the future, if I felt myself having the, like the anxiety bubble up or, or depression or what have you, I was able to almost like recognize it and change that picture. Like go back to that beach of like, Oh, I, I see this coming and I, I don't want to get overwhelmed. I don't want to get sucked in that hole. And so now I can kind of sidestep it because I almost have that like brain muscle. Um, and then just sort of other immediate effects, just I've said before, it sort of felt like uh, the whole process just defragged my brain where before it just felt like different parts of my brain and personality were almost like clashing against each other. And there was never this like harmony. And then afterwards it almost just for the first time in, in, you know, years, it felt like my brain was actually working together for, for the sake of me, as opposed to, uh, as, as opposed to me. And so there was just a lot of other benefits, you know, uh, that I just experienced and continue to experience, uh, to where, you know, I, I didn't have the same social anxiety, certain things that used to hit me and, and peak my anxiety or make me, you know, if I was at a bar around people having to take shots just to be able to like handle it, I no longer had that need. Um, and just a lot of other subtle and maybe bigger things. Uh, but as I said before, um, just what I felt then and what continued to happen, it was just like, all right, I definitely didn't understand this, but there's something to this. And, you know, even if it can help one or two individuals, then it's worthy of them knowing, you know, everybody should have the right to make their own choices to heal, to, to have better mental health. And that's sort of what we're fighting against of like, this, this isn't doing people damage. So why are we prevented from options that can help us? Um, that is super cool. And what's coming to me also is like how powerful the mind is, like just your experience and what you can, like, it's really, really cool. All the levels in which we don't always tap into. What is the vomiting? Is that your demons? What is that? In their, in their sort of, uh, in, the, in the indigenous belief, yeah, it is like the, the negative energy coming out. Um, and it kind of manifests for different people because by that time you're generally in it, like the, the psychedelics kicking in. And so for some people, you know, it might seem like they're peeking out a bug or it might seem like they're puking out the manifestation of their anxiety or what have you. And it sounds bad, like on the outside, but for a lot of people, it's like the, the best feeling or the most relieving because they're finally getting that out of their system. And so in the indigenous side of things, um, especially not all the beliefs, but some, a lot of the major beliefs is you know, it's all about energy and bad energy and, and good energy um, and causing that, that balance. And so through the purging aspect, you see this with a lot of indigenous tribes, there's always like a purging because it's, you know, cleaning the system, getting all that stuff out. Well, I want, I need that. I want like a, like a demon detox. Um, do people, so the veterans that go through your program, do they also do one week? or they can, they pick? Yeah, we, uh, we try, that's, that tends to be the most effective, like having a few ceremonies because it really allows you to do a deep dive. And like I said, if, if your trauma is like layered, it can really help you unravel layers. And so generally our, our programs are about seven to 10 days. The vast majority are about a week long. Cool. So now that we know more about you and psychedelics, can you tell us about your company, Heroic Hearts Project? Of course. So Heroic Hearts Project is a nonprofit. So it's all donations based. Um, our whole ability to send veterans is based off of people uh, donating generously us uh, money to, to help us support vets. 
everybody, including myself, are all volunteer based. So we try to keep it as direct as possible or money in goes directly to the actual cause. Uh, we've been able to expand. We have branches in the UK and Canada. Um, so we've been helping veterans all over. Um, yeah. And so the other thing is we've, we, we work with a few, uh, universities as well to try to promote the research and understanding just so we can better serve. Um, and our whole, the way we work is veterans come to us. We have an application process when we have the means, the financial means we'll organize retreats, um, in various countries. Obviously COVID is, is kind of put a wrench a little bit in that, but it's opening up again. And so, you know, we'll reach out to our waiting list and say, hey, we're organizing this retreat. Who's interested in going? We try to have people, you know, have some skin in the game. So if people can pay a little bit more, it helps us help more vets. Um, and then so then we do like a vetting process, making sure, you know, there's some uh, safety concerns, health concerns, making sure what medications are on because there's some negative interactions, all that kind of stuff. And then just seeing where they're coming from. And then we support them as much as possible before and afterwards. And the process is called integration where, you know, you, you're, this is probably a very brand new experience for most people. So we answer all questions. We help them prepare. We sort of give them, we, we help them start looking inwards and give them some tips of how to best handle this and how to get the most out of it. And then on the tail end, we also follow up and, and make sure that uh, we help interpretation and we help build those communities and, and answer any questions and just be there in support. And so that's sort of the the beginning to end of, of everything we do. And, you know, just try to be there and provide information as much as possible. Cool. And when you were deciding to create the company, why did you decide to do a not for profit, a nonprofit? Um, I just thought that that was sort of the best way, you know, uh, I don't want to make money off of this. It was just sort of, you know, originally it was just provide this information and provide access to, to veterans. And I think, you know, as, as difficult as nonprofits are, that's sort of the best way. I'm not trying to make money off of veterans nor do I ever want to. And so this seemed like the, it just seemed like a idea, especially with the power of it, that, people would be willing, you know, there's a lot of people that fortunately do want to support veterans. And so now it's just an information of like, Hey, if you want to, this is one of the most effective ways that you can. Awesome. And to anybody listening, how can we support you and where can we find you? Of course. So we also have an ambassador program. So veteran civilians, professionals, if they want to just volunteer time, you know, you know, finances have been hard for everybody, especially this year. Uh, you can sign up the ambassador program and we're going to try to figure out ways that you can, you know, lend a hand or, or lend some time. Uh, website is heroicheartsproject.org. We're on all the social media. If you just search Heroic Hearts Project and, you know, through that, through our website, you can donate. Um, you can donate through our Facebook. And like I said, all, all donations are uh, tax deductible and they go almost directly uh, to, well, donations, we keep a hundred percent going towards the vets. Um, and so if you do want to support, it is a very effective way to use your money to actually support vets. So even if you just want to give us a shout out, the, the website's the way to go. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much for your service and your time and for this idea. Was there anything you felt like we didn't cover or just anything you want to talk about? No, I think that, I think that covers it. And, um, I hope everybody has a great holiday. I'm Stephanie Wood, and you've been listening to The Geode, your guide to modern wellness and woo, the podcast. 
You can follow us on Instagram. And if you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can join me next week for another fun conversation. Until then, I love you. 